Thank you for tuning in to part two of episode five. Today, we'll be joined by Umberto Espina, who shares about how the core value do the right thing will keep H&P moving forward. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the H&P Journey podcast, where we meet the people of Homework and Pain and explore the core values that have shaped our company. My name is Lance Mann. I work here at H&P, and I'll be your host. Today, we are wrapping up our final episode of our first season. We're now going to hear from Umberto Espina, H&P's Senior Manager International Controller. Umberto has been with H&P for 13 years. He started his journey with H&P in our South American operations and continues to be an outstanding leader, always choosing to do the right thing. Before we hear from our guest today, let's take a quick break. What does it take to deliver better drilling outcomes? The right rigs, the right crews, the right technology. H&P is ready. For over a century, we have been safely providing performance-driven drilling solutions to the world that are both sustainable and efficient. So, are you ready for better drilling outcomes? Wimberto, thanks for joining us today. I'm really excited to get to know you a little better as well as for everyone else to get to know you. If you could tell us a little bit about your background growing up and, and your life before H&P. So, my name is Humberto Espina. I am from Venezuela. Uh, I'm 39 years old. You know, I come from, I would say, a humble family, raised by my mom. You know, I've been with H&P for, what, 12, almost 13 years, lucky 13. Yeah. Uh, and I've been, you know, pretty much most of my career with the company. So I've been very lucky in that sense. You know, I left Venezuela in 2007 with my uh, girlfriend at the time, now wife, and we left for Argentina. And so we spent good maybe five years there, five and a half years there. Mm -hmm. You know, we grew a lot. We learned a lot. We got married in that time frame. uh, And then we uh, got moved to Colombia Mm -hmm. uh, and spent there a good six months. Oh, sorry, six years, good six years. And then after that, got sent here to work in Tulsa, Oklahoma at our headquarters, who I've been coming to since the day of the interview, which I have a story about that, but we'll save it for later. So that jumping off at Argentina, let, let's back up a little bit maybe. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Maracaibo, Venezuela. Okay, okay. Um, and that's a pretty big oil town. Yeah. Or city. It's the second largest city in the country. I lived there all my life, except when I moved in 2007. <laughs> and I was 24. So 2007, you were 24. So leading up to 2007, you lived in Venezuela all of your life. Had, did you hear about H&P as a child, or, or when did you first hear about H&P? No, I had absolutely no collection of H&P until much later on. You know, Venezuela being an oil company or mm-hmm. an oil country, basically, mm-hmm. they, you know, there's only one company in one company and that's, you know, PDVSA and they're the oil, national oil company. And then you have your national company, uh, um, multinational companies, you know, like your Chevrons mm-hmm. or Exxon's or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so those are the big names. I, I don't think I realize I, so I'm an accountant mm-hmm. and uh, my dad is an accountant. Mm-hmm. My mom is an accountant. <laughs> And now they, they were like, don't be an accountant. <laughs> be an engineer. 
They want you to be an engineer. They want to be an engineer, but the math is too hard. What, what kind of business did they want you to go into as an engineer, you think? Uh, everybody wants their kid to be an engineer and go into oil. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. kind of the Venezuela thing. At, the, at least at that time. At that point in time, yeah. More circle. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, if you made it, you know, into one of those companies, you've made it. Yeah, right? you've, I got you're, you. You're set. I got you. Uh, and so, you know, it's an interesting dynamic. Because yeah. there's lots of it. There were lots of issues at that time in the country yeah. that have only been exaggerated mm -hmm. and made worse. And that's kind of why, you know, we decided to, you know, try our hand at immigrating somewhere else. When my first job was uh, as an English school teacher. Well, not school teacher. It, as an English teacher at a academy. It's like an after-school program. Now, was this, was this before? Where, where did you go to school to get your accounting degree? Oh, in Venezuela. That was in Venezuela. Yeah, I did to the University of Zulia, Luz, okay. and they, they're, it's a public university, mm -hmm. which in Venezuela, those were the best. Like, you, 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 it was hard to get in the public ones because oh, there's a lot of competition. Yeah. And those were better than the private. That's interesting. Um, and so, yeah, I, you have to do this whole test, and they give you, like, you know, options one through six based on, you know, a five-hour test with like 500 questions and uh, like your aptitude is for you know this isn't that yeah. and i had like admin economy <laughs> accounting uh engineering you know some of the sorts uh i think i had like arts too like five or six <laughs> something like that um and so yeah that my they never pushed me to it except the opposite but I was like, I don't really like engineering. I, I don't know. I've, I, in my mind at that time, it was like, the math is too hard. That, that, that's what it was when I was in high school with that. Uh, and, you know, I got in in accounting. And so, yeah. you know, that was that was what I wanted and that's yeah. what I got. Yeah. Um, and while I was studying, you know, to help out, I, I got my first job as an English teacher. Okay. So that we taught. So your first job was English teacher, and you were telling me a little bit about this in a in a previous conversation. What was the range of different students that you had when you were teaching English there? Yeah, all range from like five year olds through you know executives in their offices at you know big companies. So it was pretty wide. Um, it was a great learner experience, mm -hmm. just because it's it's you have to adjust you know, your method of speaking to what you're, to that audience, right? And, yeah. you know, what they're learning at their level and all of that. So that was a really interesting experience. You know, the, the, the kids' classes were very rewarding when they were fun, but, but, but when you had to cover material, it was a nightmare. They're, <laughs> they're kids, right? So you have to find good ways to, like, you know, get them to pay attention and yeah. do all that. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully, you know, those, those were spent pan out um and then the probably the best ones were like the advanced levels because it's just conversational and so we talked a lot and depending on the age group but it was it was very intimidating at first going to like an executive in their office in this huge company and like hi i'm your english teacher i'm 18. <laughs> yeah i can't even imagine <laughs> That's crazy. Would these executives usually have a pretty good base understanding of English and just refining, or, or were you starting from scratch with some executives? Um, never from scratch, yeah. but not all of them had a good base. So okay. it was it was mixed. Yeah, okay. That's, that's very interesting, very interesting. So we're here today to focus quite a bit around your journey, uh, getting to HP as well as 
since you've been at HMP, but then also to talk about one of HMP's core values, which is do the right thing. Do you have any stories from that time frame, maybe teaching English or, or maybe as you were going to school uh, about do the right thing? And if that doesn't ring a bell, maybe even take it back a step further. Where do you think you first learned do the right thing? Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's a good one. It would definitely be my mom. Like she raised me. Um, this this comment or, or uh, saying of, you know, think about it in terms of would your parents be proud if they read it on the newspaper? I think I've heard that from her, you know, probably a lot uh, when I was growing up. Um, and, you know, she worked hard. I think the the... I learned English because she actually moved out of Venezuela to Kansas City, Missouri, um, Norland Park when I was uh, 11 for about a year and a half. Oh, wow. Try our luck there. Um, and, you know, she was a bank executive. And, you know, she went from that to, you know, catering, cleaning houses, things like that. Uh, so it was tough for her. Hmm. And so I, I saw what she was trying to do. Yeah. Uh, and I saw how hard it was on her. And, you know, I, that's always with me. It's, 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 she was trying to do the right thing. And, you know, I never forget when we were coming back to Venezuela, mm-hmm. she said, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, if, if I achieve one thing is that you, you learned English. And, and, and that's the one thing that has opened up all my doors everywhere in life with everything. Well, that's fascinating. So, so you learned English in roughly a year and a half of being in the U.S. when you were 10, 11 years old. Yeah. I think I did sixth grade, you know, probably. And, you know, they have that ESL program, you know. And uh, yeah. it's an interesting age because yeah. you you are absorbing so much at that point. Yeah. And so I'm coming from all this culture. I'm coming to Venezuela to culture truck in the U.S., mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm going back to Venezuela, but I'm bringing all this culture that I just learned in a year and a half. <laughs> and then, you know, in Venezuela, you had access to um, all of the U.S. channels. So you had ABC, NBC, CBS, uh, like the core. And so I was able to keep up. In fact, I remember like taping in my mom's room this show that was happening at the same time that I was watching this other one. Um, and, and she was supporting that, as you say that. I mean, it, it, yeah, yeah, to the point where we would go on a vacation and she would let me take the VCR to mm-hmm. take stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, did your mom, did she pick up English through this time pretty well? Not really. No. She uh, she knows worse here and there, and it yeah, gets better yeah. or worse, depending. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, after she moved back, you know, we moved back to Venezuela. Yeah. I don't think she... Now, I was just curious if you guys kind of did it together or if it was... It was all you just trying to figure it out watching TV. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I think I perfected it by yeah. watching TV. And then I, I did do more lessons in Venezuela yeah, 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 when yeah, I was yeah, back. Yeah. But my level yeah. was a lot higher by then. Yeah. So it was just kind of like bringing the pieces together. And I even remember one time we had um, a group of friends who were going to study abroad. Mm-hmm. They had gotten into some universities in the U.S. And so we were, they were prepping for that. It's called a TOEFL. Uh, it's like the yeah. English level proficiency you need to have in order to be accepted. And I would join those classes with them, even though I knew I wasn't going to a U.S. university. (laughs) (laughs) Just to keep working on your English. Yeah, just to keep working on it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's dedication. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's a good it's a good easy language. And yeah. I'm a lot into music, and so it's that, that helped too. Like yeah, just learning yeah. the pronunciations with all that. That's cool. That's cool. All right, let's fast forward to 2007 and, and jump off from there. So that's when you moved to Argentina. What what industry were you working in at that point in time? So I had uh, at the end of my career in university, uh, we have to do internships, mm-hmm. uh, and so I applied for internship in a you know oil and gas company, which I didn't get. <laughs> and so the second option was an accounting firm, mm-hmm. uh, one of the big accounting firms. Um, so I got in with them, and I was working with them for about two and a half years mm-hmm. before I left. And it was a huge learning experience, but I was traveling like all over the place. Mm-hmm. I would, I would, you know, they would pick me up at like 4 a.m. on Mondays, go to the city with the team, do the audit, you know, drive back Friday at eight, get yeah. home at like midnight. On Saturday, I have to go to the office, you know, unpack this stuff, this client, get this stuff from this other client, you know, just spend Sunday doing whatever, laundry, and then on Monday back at it. <laughs> so I did it. that for a good, for a good chunk. Uh, so I'm like... Now, was that, was that, you started that in Venezuela? Yeah. Okay. With okay. this accounting firm. Okay. Um, and they do have offices in, in all over the world. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, after every certain level and, you know, when the situation, you know, started to deteriorate in Venezuela, we, me and my, my girlfriend, now wife, mm-hmm. said, well, uh, we probably can try going somewhere different. Yeah. And so that's, that's why we decided to try. So I talked to uh, the partner in Venezuela in my mm-hmm. office and said, look, I want to go study abroad. Uh, and I know there's an office in that location. Can you do some contacts? And and was like, yeah, I'm happy. You're really good. And, you know, they 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 just have to get to know you because you already checked the boxes yeah know, that what they need yeah. it's a standard and so got it to argentina on july 25th and no 21st and then by the 25th of the next month i was already working in the firm you know man but, that's cool that's so cool. that helped me a lot yeah yeah why did you stand out in such a way that that guy was willing to pretty well give you his give his recommendation for you and really almost without asking you any more questions. I I don't know. I owe a lot to that partner for his recommendation. I don't I don't know what the emails he sent or anything, but mm-hmm. you know, he he did he did help me a lot. And um I think I've always been like uh up for a challenge. Mm-hmm. And so that's helped me when I, you know, to overachieve in then in all my jobs. Yeah. And just kinda like, look, um you're new but do this. And so I try really hard yeah. uh, and learn a lot. And I think I learned quick in that sense. Uh, and I was just hungry, man. It, yeah. it, it's it, like I said, humble beginnings. My dad wasn't really around. I needed to help out. Um, only child, you know, with my mom and you know, I, it, it, it was part of, uh, doing the right thing for me at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was the only way I was going to stand out. Yeah. So you and your at the time girlfriend, you move to Argentina, you're working for this big accounting firm. Somewhere along the way, you, you hear about H&P. Tell us about your first encounters with H&P. So um, H&P used to be a client of this firm that I was working in Argentina, uh, but I was not part of their audit team or anything. I was okay. completely off of it. But uh, another of our employees 
who was kind of a mentor to me in that firm, had actually started working for HMP. Uh, so about a year, a year in, since he was in, he let me know that there was some opening positions yeah. in this company that I should apply, that I had like, you know, the perfect curriculum for it. Um, and so I did. So I was like, okay, I may go to EG and rotate 2828 uh, and do accounting there. <laughs> and EG for folks that might not know. So EG, uh, Equatorial Guinea, which is in Africa. And it's where HMP had a platform at some point uh, and had like a full platform rig working there. Okay. And so we had an office there and they needed a controller. They were looking for an area controller for that location. It wasn't the only position available. It was controller uh, EG, it was Colombia, it was Mexico, and it was Venezuela. We were, we were stacking up. We were looking for um, fresh leadership because we quickly realized, uh, my boss told me this later on, but they were, they quickly realized they were at an age where they were going to probably retire in the next 10, 15 years, ah. which happened. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they needed that, that new, um, that new session. And yeah, so sure. they were, they were hiring for a lot of those positions with that in mind. Yeah. Uh, so that was exciting to me. Um, and I remember I did uh, probably about, 10 interviews, you know, from 6 a.m. through noon that whole day and asked a lot of questions. That was in Tulsa. That was in Tulsa, yeah. They flew me um, to Tulsa and from Argentina where I was living. So it's a, you know, 11-hour flight just to Dallas and to Tulsa. Uh, So I get in on uh, Sunday. I have lunch. Sorry, I have dinner with who was going to be my boss and his Mm -hmm. wife. Mm Mm-hmm to get to know me in person. Uh, we talk, it's all great. I get upstairs, I call my wife, you know, sweetie, I made it, you know, the interview went great. Uh, you know, it, it, I'm really tired, I'm just gonna crash, but I made it okay, yeah. you know, I love you, et cetera. Uh, you know, like one minute and a half call, something like that. <laughs> and then the next day, um, I check out, because my, um, Boss at that time <clears throat> was going to pick me up mm-hmm. and take me to H&P to do all the interviews. Uh, so he picks me up and I'm checking out and I look, I have something to tell you because um, they had just given me the detail of the night. And I saw a $600 charge for a call <laughs> to Argentina. Good grief. And I was like, no, I blew it. I'm not getting this job. <laughs> and so, um, so that was... You know, that was the first thing. So, I, good morning. How are you? Good. I have something to tell you. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I'm sorry. I had no idea it would cost this much. And it's like, what? And I show in the paper, like, I made a call to my wife. And, you know, this is, and he just chuckled and <laughs> said, it's okay. Thank you for telling me. Don't worry. Uh, you did the right thing. You know, let's, let's start. And so, that was the first, you know, lesson. And, you yeah. know, it's... Um, Always do the right thing on those. Like, it's always when you try to hide things that you make it worse. Yeah. It, it just, you need to come out clean. You need to do the right thing, even when people are not looking. Yeah. Uh, so that, that, that's important. And, and I think had I not done that, I wouldn't be where I am today. You know, I, it's where my coincidence and luck would have divvied ways. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, so, yeah, that was good. And I did 10 interviews with a lot of people. And then... I got the job, but I got the Venezuelan job. 
So I left Venezuela to go to Argentina. <laughs> and now I'm hired to go back to Venezuela <laughs> uh, on a 20 to 28 basis uh, with another accountant um, rotating, which that's not normal for accounting. Like we don't rotate. I follow. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that's, that's field. Yeah, that's extraordinary. Yeah. But, you know, given the political and conditions yeah. in the country or some of the country we were in at the time, yeah. that was the only way you can make it work. Yeah. You can't get somebody to move, you know, under those You're not going to take family and that kind of thing. That makes sense. So. 10 interviews and they put you back on a plane in the same day yes man 10 interviews a launch at ron's hamburgers <laughs> and then they put me on the plane <laughs> that makes for a rough day so that was your first job at hmp correct as controller of venezuela on a rotating schedule how's your career transpired from there well, a lot. Um, you know, like I was, I was saying, they were, fi- were reaching for, or they were trying to find this group of people who would, you know, be able to be in different leadership positions in the mm-hmm. future. I think the average age of the people who interviewed me with the company had been like 19 years. And that's only because there was one person who had only been with the company for. Everybody wow. else was like 35 30, yeah. 20 plus years. Hmm. So that was the one thing like, wow, HMP is different. Like yeah. I've never really heard of a company that, that like has that. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the opportunity arose and um, it was always going to be, we need to put out a bunch of fires. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to do Venezuela, you know, but at some point in the next two years, things will settle down and, you know, you'll have a, like a proper home. Yeah. I, you know, I, at that time, you know, I, you know, recently married, um, we didn't have kids yet, um, but it was it was a challenge because you know on the one side it's you know I got six months of vacation, but then on the other side I have six months that I'm not with you know my loved one, um, and so that that was tough that was a struggle, but it was the right thing at that time because it you know the opportunity from what I was doing the firm, you know versus this international exposure um, was significant, and so again I knew English. And Spanish, of course, which mm-hmm. is my mother language. And that really helped me. Kind of back to do the right thing. How do you how do you know when you're at an intersection where there's a right thing and not a right thing to do? Like what's what's an indicator in your how do you sense that? You kind of feel it. I I I feel it. It it's like should I be doing this? Should should this doesn't feel right. It's feeling in my mind. Um, and you know, it's, it's one of the really good way of putting it into words is, um, the first, my H and P way that we did had like, uh, anchors mm-hmm. guiding principles is what sure. they call them and do the right thing was one of them. Yeah. And it was this list of, you know, five, four things where just go through that list. Yeah. If any of those is an answer that you're not comfortable with, then reassess the decision. Right. Uh, yeah. And I so, remember that tool now that you say yeah, that. Yeah. And I yeah. use that a yeah. lot, especially, you know, in, in, in some of my assignments internationally, in Colombia, yeah. uh, Mexico, you know, it, it's, it's because at the end of the day, we have to recognize that there's significantly yeah. higher risk in international that there is yeah. in other locations. Um, and that's what your sender there. As a controller, you, you, you are compliance eyes in the country. You are finance, you are accounting. Yeah. And so it's 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 not just 
here's the numbers. It's yes, here's the numbers, but we need to stay out of trouble. And everything's great and international, except when it isn't. <laughs> and then that's the problem. So that's what, you know, kind of keeps me up at night. Yeah. Well, and there you go. That I think, as I think about do the right thing, that, that is a big part of it is in doing the right thing, it makes it a lot easier to sleep at night. Yeah. So we have, right now, we have a lot of new people being hired at HMP in all kinds of different roles from, from rig hands to accounting positions, I'm sure. Do you have any advice for these new people starting at HMP around do the right thing and, and how to how to make sure they're doing the right thing or how to embrace it? You know, especially in those challenging like like you kind of mentioned with the the phone call and the weird charges. I mean, that, that one's like, would you've got fired for that? Who probably not, but but it definitely didn't hurt to do the right thing. Do you have any advice for folks? They might find themselves in a similar situation where it's like, ah, you might get in a bunch of trouble for that. Yeah. Um, you need to understand what your responsibilities are. And one of them is raising your hand. I think we do a really good job of having open communication. Mm -hmm. And and if for some reason you, you're new and you haven't been able to build that relationship with your supervisor, you know, we have other ways of having listening to you mm -hmm. so there's a hotline you know there's there's communications there's there there's a lot of and they're anonymous and so if, if you want them to be yeah um and so just know that hmp will not retaliate we will do everything we can to help yeah uh you do the right thing there may be an investigation into something that's happened a lot sure sure um but it's important to know that you know, we we will do the work and we will try to help you and we will hear you. Mm -hmm. And that, that's a key. I think we yeah. will hear you. It, yeah. It's not like, yeah, just look the other way. It, it, we don't, we don't, that's not helpful. One thing that comes to mind that I've, I've heard people talk about in the past, I want to get your take on this. If we have policies that say one thing really specifically, but then it, even the policy in a certain scenario doesn't feel like the right thing. Uh, because of some extenuating circumstances going on, what? How, how would you handle that kind of a scenario? Well, bring it up. Talk to your supervisor. Um, talk to your compliance department. Uh, talk to legal about it. Again, it's it's an open communication, and there may be some nuance that you know we don't understand. This is a good example of differences between international and domestic. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes things get lost in translation. Mm, yeah. And sometimes it's, it's important to, you know, reassess a decision we made two years ago because facts have changed. Ah. And so it's, it's, it's a good way of keeping, you know, alert of what's going on, but understand that, you know, what, what works here may not work there. Yeah. And so you, you know, you, we have to keep at it. It's, it's one of the, again, the foundation of all is that trust element and you have to work on that, right? It's organizational health. That's exactly what's going to allow you to be able to have those conversations and feel like you're going to be listened to and pay attention. Let's dig into that a little bit more. I, I've heard you mention a few things that make me think of, of Patrick Lencioni and the books that he's written. You mentioned earlier, Hungry and Humble, and I don't know if you said smart, but I know it's right in there with, with the ideal team player. And then you're mentioning trust right now, which is... Yeah, the good old pyramid, the base of that pyramid, the foundation of all relationships, really. 
you have any other thoughts around those two books and how they might or, or any other books you might have in mind that relate and how they relate to do the right thing? Yeah, I think we as a company made a very conscious decision. I think it was back in 2015 mm-hmm. to go into this organizational health road. And um, I was lucky enough to be part of a table group session that we had with all of the controllers for the international locations and country managers and management here in yeah. Tulsa. Um, and that was eye-open, just having them explain those concepts and, you know, read the book, The Advantage in this case, mm-hmm. um, and just the simplicity of it. Because it's so easy to do, but it's so hard to implement <laughs> and do. Uh, because that's the thing. Uh, you, but that's why you have to work at it, right? Yeah. Uh, the, you know, there's no rewards it's not yeah. Yeah. on it. And so with that, I think I needed to understand more of what that meant in terms of like for the company and business. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm accounting. Yeah. Okay, well, words and numbers. No, this is not tangible. What do you mean it's not tangible? Like, <laughs> but, yeah, well, it is, but, you know, after you do this work, I'm like, okay. Um, but I saw it. It's no secret that we had a lot of silos yeah. uh, and a lot of issues and miscommunication and lack of trust. Sure. Um, and so I saw that as a perfect way to, you know, encapsulate what we're about. And that's when the company came out with the HMP way. Like this is this is our vision. Like this is why we do things, right? And and then bringing it down into, you know, all the way to because this why, here's our most important rallying cry today. Yeah. And you know, back then we were you know focusing on you know one or two. Yeah. Well, before this, it was twenty. Nothing was important because everything was. Right, yeah. Uh, so that made it, we could focus on one. And how we got from, like, the communication model to an ELT and how they came up with the strategy or the goal and then how that gets cascaded, to me, that was it was all together. Like, you couldn't do one without the other. Yeah. And so I think mm, one of the things I immediately did when I went back to Colombia was, well, can I do this at a smaller level here yeah. in Colombia, which is where I was at the time. Uh, and so I did. I talked to a lot of good people who helped. Um, and we we basically did a version of that for my finance team in Colombia. And they loved it. And I was like, that's awesome. awesome. That's awesome. And then work it around. And they're like, are you doing that for more? And I'm like, oh, sure, I can try to do that. And then, you know, within a year, we had done every office personnel had been part of at least one table group. Well, not table group, but it was ours. Yeah, yeah. And they no, helped me prepare. Yeah, right? no, that's awesome. But organizational health um, yeah. session, one day session. That's, and that's it was wonderful. 10 out of 10 apiece, 10 people per group, because mm-hmm. you can't have too many. Otherwise, you won't be able to build that trust and all that. Yeah. And you had to share and yeah. you had to listen and you had to explain all these concepts. Yeah. And so it was really rewarding and good. That's awesome. That's awesome. I heard you talking about some interdependencies uh, and then also heard you talk about the H&P way. So bringing those two things together, I'd like to ask the other core values. What interdependencies do you see between do the right thing and the other core values? It's in all of them. It's not, you can't, you can't do the other ones without that one. 
it, it's you have to. Uh, you know, it's it's it's. I think service attitude would be if I had to rank them after the right thing, that would probably be it. Um, and you know, from our side, we 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 try to help provide the numbers so that management can you know make best decisions on it. And you know, it it's important to uh, do so with not only here's the data, you make mm-hmm. the decision, but mm-hmm. here's the data. And, you know, I think option A, B, and C are available. Like, do you have another option? Yeah. Or do you like one of these? Like, just come with solutions to the tables. Yeah. And then, you know, that's where innovative comes in, you know, because you have to really think about how, how, that, how that becomes something different and new. And I've been fortunate because I... I've always kind of, I'm always the new guy, not only because I'm young, but because I just can't send here or I just got transferred and it's a fresh eye, some processes. Yeah. And it's always, we've always done it this way. Like we've always done it this way. And so it, it yeah, I know, but why? <laughs> right. And, you know, and why? And then you do seven whys. And, and so that's where that comes in. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I really appreciate, like, I'm, I'm, I'm deep on the lingo because I've, I've weaved it through my life now. Because <laughs> it, it helped me articulate it in a way that I've kind of always thought about, yeah. but not necessarily knew how to put in words. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that it was John Lindsay read a letter at one of the award ceremonies in the past few years that Walt Helmrich had written. And in that letter, he really emphasized doing the right thing. And that was from many, many years ago. So that's historical. And then we're here today. Do you see do the right thing continuing to be important? And, and how do you see it maybe changing or evolving in the future at H&P? Yeah. Um, I mean, we're the youngest 102-year-old company <laughs> that exists out there. I mean, in terms of, you know, our vision and our technology, yeah. And so I, I, I feel very hopeful and I, and I think, you know, we're going to be around for another hundred years, maybe 200, uh, it may look different, but that's, that's going to be the guiding principle is do the right thing. And I don't know, I have some examples I see today, forward looking, you know, mm-hmm. we are now doing a big ESG, uh, environmental and social, um, portion, mm-hmm. uh, we put out a report. Uh, and there's been a lot of work on that. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's us getting a voice, mm-hmm. uh, in the, you know, climate change debate sure. discussion. Um, and it's, it's, it's how we keep moving forward. Yeah. And I, part of that's driven by, you know, do the right thing, not just cause we're innovative, but innovative, but it's, it's, it's all through that. That is really awesome because that is that that initiative ESG really does, as you think about it, tie together really all of our core values. Yeah. But do the right thing is really a big part of it. So, do you have any final thoughts? Anything else you'd like to share about your journey at H and P or or just thoughts around do the right thing? I just you know thanks again for the invite. Um, I think I've been incredibly blessed and lucky. Uh, I haven't done this alone. You know, I've had a team behind me, in front of me, people cheering me on. Um, and so, you know, I owe a lot of love to them. And a lot of them aren't with the company anymore because they've retired. Uh, and a lot of them still are. And so it's, 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 
it's that faith in in giving people a chance to live out their journey. And I think we're doing a really good job on that. Um, you know, I may be an accountant, but that doesn't mean I don't like to do other things. Sure. And I know there's, you know, cross-departmental moves that we're doing where that's factor in, right? Yeah. yeah. And so just you got to be in the lookout mm -hmm. for some of those new opportunities. Get out of your comfort zone, you know, have those talks. Um, there's good people to reach out always. Um, and just think about what your life is going to be in the next 10 years, five years. And how are you going to contribute to that? Yeah. Right. And to me, that's the biggest win, right? It's, it's like, I actually have a future to look forward to. I don't know what it is, but you know, I know I can contribute and, and that's part of the journey. That's awesome. As I hear you say that, challenging yourself is a big part of doing the right thing. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. 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 Umberto, thanks so much for your time today. Really enjoyed hearing from you, getting to know more about you and your journey before HMP and at HMP, as well as hearing your thoughts around our core value of do the right thing. So thanks mm -hmm. a bunch. Thanks for having me. Appreciate sure. it. Well, that's all for today. I hope these stories have inspired you to think about where your HP journey can take you. You can find more HP journey stories at helmetpain.com slash journey. And if you're interested in being featured on the podcast, reach out to hpcommunication at hp.com. 